Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast. Today is August 6, 2021. The Coconuts Podcast is your home for top trending news and pop culture from all across Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. I'm Summer Lee. And I'm Andre Nazri. What's up, Andre? You're not neural. What's happening? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm your new co-host. Yes, you are. And we're happy um, to have you here. Thank you. And I'm going to need your guiding hand to guide me through this. Very, this very nerve-wracking experience no it's not come on andra like me and neuro we just come here every week talk shit to be honest <laughs> you're gonna do yeah, great but come on like last time i was here i was a guest and we were talking about bear titties oh yeah and now we're this is talk really about... clearly really important shit it is it that is. we're doing like, here absolutely very important work so um not sure what kind of animal titties we're going to talk about today but either way it's going to be great hopefully none let's talk <laughs> about real stuff this time. Okay, we do have a story about a ball, so it's going to be great ah. either way. But yeah, Andre, have you been watching the Olympics? Yes. Um, good news is that uh, Indonesia won its first and only uh, gold medal in uh, women's doubles badminton. Of course, if we were oh going to gold medal in anything, it would be bad- badminton. But it's okay. our first... Um, gold medal for uh, women's doubles in that category. Congrats! And everybody went nuts. Okay, talk to me about the prizes. Like, what are these athletes getting? Because, like, I've heard some people get houses. You get, I don't know, milk tea for life for one um, athlete from Hong Kong, I think. I think um, uh, our gold medalists, Gracia Poli and Apriani Rahayu, they, they mm. each got from the government, I believe, 5 billion rupiah. Which is oh, in US dollars is around. I don't do math. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry, I got a Google tab open. How much is that? Five million, did you say? Five billion. Billion, each. my bad. Uh-huh. How many zeros is a billion? Uh, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Sorry, eight. listeners. Okay. How, how, okay, much, how much? Okay, it's 348. Thousand and five hundred and fifty-three dollars and fifty cents in USD. Holy shit! Congrats. Oh, but it's it's not as it's not as impressive as billions, though. Well, yeah. Let's I mean, just let's just leave it at five billion dollars, if that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean, Rupia. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so also, they're be, getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're getting. Um, I think a lifetime supply of meatball soup. Meatball <gasps> um, <laughs> Yeah, baso. Hell yeah. But so good. Uh, um, we love our puns here, the coconuts, as you may, as you may have already known. Um, and uh, yeah, a house probably or two, an apartment here and there. Mm-hmm. I want a house. Yeah, too. All, all they had to do was win a gold medal. Oh yeah, no big deal. Guys, yeah, start no practicing. Everybody, all you listeners you know, out there. But you know what's really interesting is what. Um, you know, Southeast Asia, one of the most populated you know subcontinents or whatever regions in the world mm. this is our first gold medal <gasps> yeah in tokyo it's freaking crazy well, what happened singapore i mean our boy did well okay like everyone who's shitting on joseph schooling for not winning the gold medal again Guys, he already did it. He already got one in 2016. So let's count on that. You know, like he already did it. You know, he's on to new things. And I guess he just landed back in Singapore this week. Good for him. He did his best. Did, did We're proud of him. On him. Yeah, dude. Everyone was like, oh, okay, you wasted taxpayers' money and shit. Then it's like, honey, his parents put him through like, um, I don't know, training in the US and all that. So he wasn't really wasting state money. He was wasting his ads. But no, he wasn't wasting any of it at, at all because he did win that gold medal in 2016 and he beat freaking Michael Phelps. Are we forgetting that? Could any of y'all beat Michael Phelps? I don't think the fuck so. Yeah. Uh, come on, people. People are fickle. It do be that way. Advertise with our in-house agency growth. Fast, funny, digital. Join forces with us to slay buzzwords, rise above the noise, and sow the seeds of something great. Get in touch via coconuts.co slash grove. In our top stories for the week, we start off in Bali, where weak tracing efforts and patients refusing isolation is hampering Bali's fight against COVID-19. 
Bali is struggling, coping with weak tracing efforts and individuals refusing to isolate. According to the Indonesian Medical Association, also known as the IDI, with limited medical supply and facilities also posing added challenges in the province's battle against COVID-19. Okay, so according to the head of IDI in Bali, um, he said the reality now is that tracing is low. Only three to five people are traced from one confirmed patient, while the World Health Organization recommends from 20 to 30 people for tracing. So this is quite hard. And Siteja also said that some patients are refusing to isolate whether on their own or in facilities provided by the government. And he said that people fear tracing because it might lead them to be taken to a centered isolation that's far away. And there are cases of individuals showing symptoms when they are examined, but they don't want to be tested because they fear losing their jobs or having to be isolated. According to IDI Bali, the province also struggles with limited supply of isolation facilities, ICU rooms and oxygen as you know, they continue to record over 1,000 cases daily in the last three weeks. These problems extend beyond Bali, with the NTB chapter of IDI also reporting other struggles, such as a shortage of health workers and medical tools. But yeah, holy shit, how are we coping over there, Andra? What do you think? In Bali, we're starting to see, no, well, we're, we are actually seeing cases rise, um, whereas in the previous uh, COVID-19 epicenter, which, is, which was the... Uh, island of java um cases are declining so it's mm -hmm. it's 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 quite alarming uh what's going on in bali and to think that uh it was only a couple of couple of months ago before when the government planned to reopen the island to international tourists uh by august um, mm -hmm. and then reality aka delta hit and here we are. It's really sad. I hope I hope this doesn't go on for much longer. Yeah, dude. Oof. Over in Thailand, though, Bangkok's train night market insists it will be back. You know, the folks behind one of, the, one of Bangkok's most popular after-dark flea markets said that rumors of its demise were untrue. I don't know if you've heard, Summer, but you know the train night market Rachida, aka Talat Road Phi, mm -hmm. had closed down for good due to the pandemic, but a member of its management team said the market's closure was only temporary and it would open, reopen as soon as conditions allowed. Oh, man. The market's it a popular destination for foreign tourists before the pandemic hit, but it was shut down on order of City Hall since the third wave outbreak hit the capital in April. No! And if anyone's wondering when it's going to reopen, you know... Uh, when asked by a number of publications, both local and international, uh, you know, publications who reported its permanent closure, the officials said they have no idea. They have no set date for reopening, but they will reopen. So something to look forward to. That's so freaking sad because obviously, like as a Singaporean, aka, um, as you know, we're all huge fans of Bangkok, and to hear that one of these freaking markets that are so iconic closing i don't know how singaporeans are coping but of course that's some bullshit because like how are these um market people like how, how to say the vendors i wonder how they're doing because mm. yep i guess like it's always been filled with tourists freaking tourists like the likes of me and everyone else in singapore oh man i really hope they bounce back i've never been to ratchet what, what what can you get up to <laughs> what can in you not get market? <laughs> I mean, you can get freaking anything from like boob t-shirts um, to, you know, very cute phone cases. I say that from first-hand experience. Um, it's a good place for food as well. And then I've been told by locals actually to go to the places with the most Thai people. Yeah. So the ones filled with tourists are not as good as the ones with the Thai people. And yeah, there are like a few beer gardens scattered around. So, you know. Yeah. Huh? Remember drinking outdoors <laughs> and getting uh, food outdoors? Oh, good times. Yeah. I just miss Bangkok. Overall, I mean, yeah. Like you say, you say it has especially good food. I say, where in Bangkok can you not find good food? Facts. Throw a stone, you mm. hit a, a good place, you know, to eat. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah. Pig story. And over in Hong Kong, a wild boar's buttocks were bloodied after a suspected attack with a sharp weapon. What the hell? Who is out here, like? I don't know, stabbing a pig's butt. Um, but Four yeah. Haters. I know, right? 
Yeah, this wild boar was allegedly pierced by a sharp weapon at Tai Tam Country Park, leaving a bloody gash on its bottom. What the hell? Um, yeah, the injured boar was spotted by a hiker who heard the animal's cries along Wilson Trail near private housing estate Hong Kong Park View, according to HK01. The hiker said that she saw a middle-aged man wearing camouflage and wielding a spear-like weapon, although it's unclear whether the man was behind the attack. Camouflage? What the hell for? Yep, and this is why police told Coconuts as, um, that they have no relevant information on hand. But yeah, a wild boar researcher managed to find the injured boar this week um, on a hillside off Wilson Trail, and he said that the animal had lost a piece of its flesh and that the wound had started to decay. <sighs> Poor baby. The wound is the size of a table tennis ball, according to the researcher. He told this to HK01, adding that emergency care was needed to treat the infection. However, the Agricultural, Fisheries and Conservation Department, also known as the AFCD, said that it would not treat the boar as it is a wild animal, but it will continue to monitor its condition and take relevant action if needed. And yeah, for those who don't know, um, boars are actually common in Hong Kong. A woman was attacked by a wild pig when she stopped for photos during a hike in Quarry Bay while a baby boar wandered into, onto an MTR train and even changed subway lines in June. Boss, they're just like you and me. They just want to take the train. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, mm. but I'm picturing the perpetrator to be that guy who mm-hmm. goes over the top when we paintball. Right. You know that you know, guy. You know that you guy. Know that guy. <laughs> yeah. What an asshole. Yeah. What the don't hell? You're... The yeah, you're in camouflage. So, okay, I guess you're dressed like a coward too. Goddamn shit outfit. <laughs> shit outfit. <laughs> Burn. Speaking of not boars, Malaysia's anti-Mohidin politicians take to the streets. Opposition lawmakers, including leader Anwar Ibrahim and Lim Guan Eng, march from Dataran Merdeka towards the parliament building, calling on Prime Minister Mohidin Yassin to resign. They were seen holding a banner written with the Prime Minister's legal name, Mahiyadin and were marching along with the media scrum and giving short speeches in between while being monitored by police, including those from the riot unit. The demonstration, which lasted about an hour, took place as Parliament was suspended due to a COVID-19 outbreak. Quoting Anwar Ibrahim, The people are dying, suffering, because of the government's failures. The government has lost support. The, govern- the government failed to perform its duties but continued to hold on to power. This is the view of 100, 107 members of parliament from all opposition parties. Last week's parliament session was postponed after several COVID-19 cases were detected. The outbreak was announced last week, just as parliamentarians were debating emergency ordinances that had been revoked without royal approval, and while others called on the prime minister to step down. Noise. The Prime Minister has been criticized by the public for his poor handling of the COVID-19 crisis, which continued to spiral out of control despite declaring a state of emergency in January. Six emergency ordinances were enacted by the government and later revoked without royal approval, inciting fury among opposition parties. Um, yeah, holy shit, Malaysia. Um, I don't know. I've just been speaking to my friends in Malaysia and it's not looking good. I'm like, what's up? They're like, I'm inside. That's what's up. Um, oh shit. I mean, I get, I hope it gets better soon. And there was this like, um, march with these opposition politicians. There's like these videos circulating around. And I'm just like, that's a lot of people, huh? In a pandemic. But yeah, I see the point. Because, you know, at least they were outdoors. Yeah. True, true, true. But at the same time, it must be so like aggravating and hard to deal with. Damn in Malaysia. But I ask you this, which government has done it right? Good point. During this pandemic, uh, none. Not true that, true that. Maybe New Zealand, eh? Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, Jacinda Ardern, like everyone else, you have sucked. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't sue me. Over in Jakarta, this Indonesian woman was arrested after this $2 trillion IDR donation for COVID-19 relief proved too good to be true. What? You, she, like, faked a donation? Okay. But yeah, police in South Sumatra have arrested the daughter of a late businessman over an inconceivably generous donation for COVID-19 relief that turned out to be a big fat lie. What? Yeah. 
How could anyone do this? How could you? At least, like, I don't know, maybe say a smaller amount if you're going to fake something. I don't know. <laughs> Two trillion rupiah. That mm-hmm. is. How much is that? Oh. Uh, Keep we'll reading your that. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. But yes, we'll tell you right now. On July 26, Harry Auntie made national headlines after symbolically pledging to donate 2 trillion rupiah. Guys, that's 138.8 million USD to the South Sumatra police to assist with COVID-19 handling in the province. What the fuck? Um, yeah, the money claimed to have been set aside by Harry Auntie's father, the late palm oil and construction tycoon Akiri Tio, in his will to be donated to the public in times of great need. But the money never came. And the donation proved too good to be true when the police um, said that after a week of investigation, they have determined that was a lie. The money doesn't exist. Oh, sorry, I was trying to do a Maori voice, but yeah, that works. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So Harianti was charged for spreading misinformation that may lead to public unrest, facts, and may face up to two years in prison if convicted. That's a silly law. I mean, yeah, you but... lie, you lie, <laughs> but then you get two years in prison for lying. That's why I wanted to ask: Is this like I don't know? Is it in the same vein of you know you lie that there's a car bomb somewhere? Arguably, who's this really hurting except her own reputation? True that, true that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the law's funny as hell. I love it. Um, yeah, police have yet to disclose Harry Auntie's motives for the public deception. Though, if anyone were to guess, it probably has to do with maintaining a philanthropic public image. I'm like, was it worth it? Actually, there's been quite a, a strange development in this case. Ooh. Uh, as, as we're recording this, actually. Mm. Apparently, this woman maintained that the money actually exists in an offshore account. <gasps> and that the, the holdup is in getting it wired back to Indonesia. But then oh. there's still a whole lot of skepticism about that claim. So I guess um, we'll just have to see how this goes. This is real fun. I'm like, what is the biggest story here? What are you not telling us, Harry Auntie? Because like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I'd, I'd be more upset if this was true, because then there exists somebody in this world who has two trillion rupiah mm. to just give away like that. You know what I mean? Exactly, you little shit. I mean, like, we've got um, our boy Jeff Bezos going to the sky for fun, going beyond the sky for fun, a piece of shit in a pandemic. God damn it. Yeah, man. I can't even afford Starbucks every day. Oh, facts. That shit expensive. Mm. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's, it's awful. Mm-hmm. Don't sue us, Starbucks. Um, moving on to Manila. Nas Daily set up a Wang Odd Tattoo Academy, but Wang Odd may not have signed off on it. <gasps> Summer, you've heard of Nas Daily. Yeah. AKA Nusser Yassin. He's not just a vlogger, he's a digital juggernaut, more hmm. brand than actual person. After exploding on Facebook and YouTube with his light one-minute videos, Yasin reached out from his usual content to launch Nas Academy in 2020. The online masterclass setup is offered to aspiring content creators and corporate teams with celebrities, influencers, and other notables in their field sharing their expertise. So basically self-important people. Oh, <laughs> Among the news courses is a class on the ancient art of tattooing under the Wine Art Academy with traditional tattoo artist Wine Art of Kalinga. For a relatively affordable price of 750 pesos, learners are offered lifetime access to the course materials that includes three videos ranging from four and a half minutes to over 18 minutes long and two live sessions with trainers. Although I feel like with um, learning how to tattoo somebody, you feel like it has to be a hands-on thing, not not taught remotely. Yeah, dude, this is not learning how to fix a sink on YouTube. Like very vastly different things, but better better in person, I would think. <laughs> anyway, it all sounds so exciting, except that Grace Palikas, Wang Odd's grandniece and protege, has warned people away from signing up to the course, calling the academy a scam. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Wang Odd can be 
heard speaking through a translator in the videos on Nice Academy, and this may be part of the problem. In a Facebook post, Palikas explained that Wang Out had not signed the contract and had not in fact understood what the Nas Academy team was saying. Lost in translation, probably. Ah. Hello, everyone. Wang Out Academy is not real. I spoke to her and she said she did not understand what the translators were saying, the granny said. Although the course has been uploaded to the Nas Academy website, Palikas says that the venerable tattoo artist is not on board with the project. Oof. And he says, I'm sorry to tell you she will not be joining Nas daily. I know you have good intentions of sharing our culture to the next generation. However, our village concern is that, is that some people are profiting and exploiting, I think she means exploiting, our art and culture. I know mm-hmm. you spoke to someone and gave some money and will share profits, but Apple Wong Art is not aware of your contract. Hope you sort this out, Nas. Thank you and have a nice day. Oh. And yeah, all this drama has led to the post being taken down on Facebook and Nas Academy taking down the Wang Odd Academy page. You know, this Wang Odd pers- person is quite um, an interesting character. She's known as the last of the Kalinga Mambapatok, practicing the region's traditional tattoo arts. She's from the Butbut tribe of the larger Kalinga ethnic group and lives in a remote village. Although she has a number of students, only her two grandnieces, Grace Palakas and Ilyang Wigan, are considered the real apprentices and heiresses to the tradition. So yeah, this is like a, an exclusive thing. Like mm. you don't just teach this to people online, you know? Yeah, dude. Like also, Wang Out sounds cool as hell. Oh man, you should see her photos. Like check, go to our website and check out her full body tattoo. Oh my god, it's hardcore as shit. Like, yeah, and she's super old. How old was mm. she again? One hundred and four. <gasps> Wait, really? Yeah. Oh my god, she's 104 years old. Therefore, tattoos prolong life. Absolutely. Evidence I'm... right here. <laughs> do you have a tattoo? I do not. I want like, I, I do want some. Yeah, I should get on that. Yeah, I would get one, but it's against my religion. So. Oh shit, okay. And I'm so devout. Oh my god. <laughs> you have no idea. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll get one on behalf of you maybe. I don't know. Yes, please. A coconut. Damn it. Okay. Coconut. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Over in Singapore. This Singapore man leaves a racist stain on family featured for National Day. Little shit. First of all, what's this guy, a bore? I know. This dude who doesn't seem to like South Asians disappeared from Facebook. After being savage for using a National Day photo featuring an Indian family to air racist views. This idiot's name is Andrew Lee and his account appeared to be deactivated after he took a photo out of context to slander an entire racial group. The derogatory comments by Lee and his friends were attached to a family featured on a banner hung in the Tanjumpaga constituency that featured members of parliament and residents. What the fuck? Okay, so this is what this uh, piece of shit said. He said, blatant disregard how our taxpayers feel to use our tax money to feed the black South Asian. Okay, um, that's racist, first of all. And yeah, he may not have known that he was maligning the family of Singapore athlete Thiruban Tana Rajan, who appears in the photo. So the runner responded and he said, that's my family in a National Day poster. He said that they were invited by the town council to represent the different races and religions of the community because believe it or not, Singapore is a multiracial, multicultural society. So, and it's 2021, Google's free, don't do this. But yes, without being dragged into the mud, Tana Rajan clarified that he and his family were born and bred Singapore citizens. And he said, I myself have been representing Singapore in athletics since I was 15 years old. I don't think I have to say much more than that. Oof. And yeah, that's the thing. The fact that he had to come out online and say that is real sad because, dude, we have like four main races and sometimes people forget that, which is weird. But yeah, the town council also shared photos of all of the banners online amid the kerfuffle, but made no mention of the episode. They featured photos of other families and friendly neighbors gathering. So Lee had added a green arrow pointing at Tana Rajan's family in his post. 
While the caption only said that the photo had been forwarded to him, he and his friends had expressed their disdain for the South Asians in the comments. Sucks! But yeah, Andrew Lee, piece of shit. Um, don't do this. Racist piece of shit. Yeah. Fuck face. Mm-hmm. Dick. <laughs> oh. You know, as sad as it is, it's mm. not really that surprising to see, um, you know, inst- instances of racism in Singapore. Absolutely. Like, like I'm Chinese. I'm part of the majority race. Like, literally, we are stupid as hell. Like, the shit that comes out of Chinese people's mouths sometimes is like, you, you do know that this is not a country solely of Chinese people, right? Like, the fact that you forget that every day, it's, it's real weird. But at the same time, shit's systemic. It has been here. Racism has been here for a freaking while. And yeah, I don't know. When yeah. will it stop is the question. Ugh, that's on Chinese privilege, y'all. Unlearn stupid behaviors. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And speaking of things that are also not surprising, over in Yangon, there's no election until 2023, the hunter says, on six-month coup anniversary. Are you shocked, Summer? It's been six months? Oh my god. Are y'all okay over there? So the head of Myanmar's military announced this week that he has organized its ruling junta into a caretaker government and appointed himself prime minister. But he won't organize an election until 2023. That is two years from now. Six months after seizing power and jailing Myanmar's elected civilian leaders, Senior General Min Aung Hlaing pledged in a speech to the nation to hold an election within two years, a vow roundly rejected by those taking to the streets in the, va- in the face of violence to demand the military cede power. Immediately after the general's address, people across the country came out to protest yet again under the, under the slogan, kick out the military guard dogs, referring to the so-called caretaker administration. Human Rights Watch marked the six-month coupversary by calling for escalated sanctions in response to the continuing crimes against humanity in Myanmar. Action should include targeted sanctions on individuals, a global arms embargo, and financial restrictions that, re- that would reduce the junta's revenues from extractive industries, its report published last week. Min Aung Hlaing said it would take two years to implement the military's five goals, which include holding an election by August 2023. It came days after his appointed electioneers officially tossed out landslide November victory by Aung San Suu Kyi's ruling National League for Democracy. Aung Myo Min, human rights minister for the government in exile, said that rebranding itself as a caretaker government would not protect the junta from prosecution for human rights abuses and war crimes. To quote him, even if the title was changed, responsibility remains with them. All the crimes committed by the military will be a haunting nightmare for them to stand on their own feet internationally and to be legitimized. So yeah, it's the same old strategy employed by the junta. Um, They're remaining in power by all this, um, you know, dubious ways. Mm-hmm. And killing people, unfortunately. Yep. I don't know. I feel like we say this every week, but really hope the situation gets better because, oh my God, these headlines are harrowing. Yeah. Oof. And our guest this week, we talked to Joshua Pillay. He's the co-founder of a Fat Cat Collective. You might know um, some of the bars under this brand. It's 1980 and Rails. Yep, so this week we speak to him about some of the ways the collective has adapted in order to stay afloat. Have a listen. And our guest this week, his name is Joshua Pillay. You may know him as the co-founder of A Fat Cat Collective. Hi Joshua, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you all? Good, good, how are you? Okay, man, surviving. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. A, that's, that's that's a good thing already when someone says you're surviving. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, that is the theme yeah. for today. Yeah, that's the theme. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's a theme for a while, actually. <laughs> yeah, man. <How laughs> it's like, how are you? I'm good. You know, yeah. still alive. Not good, still not alive. bad, but still yeah, dead. Yeah, <laughs> staying alive. Yeah, that's what we're trying to. <laughs> oh, but yeah, Joshua, you're here to uh, talk to us about uh, some of the exciting programs that a Fat Cat Collective has done. Could you tell us more about those? 
Okay, cool. So I think uh, Fat Cat Collective actually runs uh, bars, uh, lifestyle concepts, and mm-hmm. there are there were three uh, lifestyle concepts they were running: 1980 Pinball Wizard and Rails. Uh, unfortunately, for Pinball Wizard, due to COVID, we had to exit, uh, which was a bit of a requirement uh, when we were going through the pandemic uh, mm-hmm. for for nightclubs. So that was unfortunate, and I do hope to revive it in the near future. But for now, that has just been uh, shoved aside. But we are mm-hmm. currently running 1980 and Reels, located at 21 Tanjung Paga. Have you all been to any of it? No, actually, I, um, I wanted to ask you, take you back a couple of years, and could you like maybe describe what a regular pre-pandemic patron of sure. 1980 so and Reels 19- are like? Sure. Mm. So for 1980, let me start, that was our first baby. Uh, that oh. we, me and my two other partners gave birth to. <laughs> uh, uh, and um, when we came out, this idea was basically to pay homage to the 80s. It was mm. a year that uh, many of us grew up with. Uh, for me and uh, my another partner, Yafit. Uh, Francesca was, I think, a 90s baby. But mm-hmm. I think the 80s poured over to the 90s. So to me, that was, uh, that was still counted. And... Um, so when 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 you when when you go into 1980s, it's basically like a going like a time traveling machine, and we, when you walk in, it's really a, a neon synth wave, retro wave looking kind of space, mm-hmm. right? And that was this whole idea of 1980. And when we first time opened it, we put in 80s arcade machine, like your Pac Man, your Space Invaders, and when we started off, we just wanted to be a bar. Next thing mm-hmm. we knew that uh, it became like a crazy club place for people to come there and, and get that fix of 80s and 90s music. And mm-hmm. uh, before COVID, it was um, uh, it was like it was like that a very packed up place, filled with people just coming there to enjoy music and uh, um, uh, allowing them to to just live in the eighties uh, for that four hours that they go in. Yeah, <laughs> did you yeah. see a good variety in the age range, or was it a lot of people like me? Well, giving away my age here. Yeah, how old are you kids. now? I, how I'm you? Uh, I'm thirty three. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, I, I guess I'm a 90s kid, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but you, you crossed over the 80s genre. So, yeah. So, to answer your question, I think we had a very big, wide uh, group, actually. We had kids from as, as young as 18 to, uh, to as old as uh, kids, as old as 60, 60 plus, 70. And, oh. and we had 60 plus uh, year olds coming in and, you know, dancing the night away and, you know. Um, I love it. The young yeah, at heart. And, yeah, and, and the thing is, why the 18-year-old? Because maybe we were very Instagrammable. <laughs> but, mm. yeah, but there was this, I don't know, those who are 20, 22, I mean, when we talked to everybody, a lot of them knew the 80s music. They were, there was this resurgence of 80s that was coming back. Mm. 90s. So in our club, we don't play strictly 80s. I mean, we do play, but we have a bit of your Spice Girls, your Backstreet Boys, your yes. A1, your NSYNC. You know, we, we drop that kind of stuff in and yeah. So we had a good variety of music that majority of us grew up with. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was going to wait to say this, but yes, I'm 25. I've been to 1980. It is beautiful. <laughs> and yes, yeah, it is actually... Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks. Um, It's actually one like... Of our, sorry, one of our biggest nights was actually like a boy band night we did where it was all 90s boy band. And it was off the hook, man. It's like people... I mean, it was a lot of girls and guys, and a lot of a lot of them singing along to Backstreet and singing, and, and I was like, "Wow!" It's like there was a really big craze for pop bands at one point, right? Still is, but yeah, they're pretty timeless. Yeah, mm. they are. They are. Yeah, their music. Yeah. Nineteen eighty is actually like ten steps away from our Coconut Singapore office. Totally dangerous for us, but it is absolutely wonderful, and we love it. <laughs> it's oh, super oh, convenient. Great. But yeah, could you tell us um, about the ways the collective has adapted, um, you know, with this Staying Alive campaign? Sure. So we came up with this campaign called Staying Alive. And mm-hmm. uh, just to add on, we have another club called Rails, which is just next door to 1980. Mm. And what happened was last year before the pandemic, uh, before COVID, we wanted to open both clubs. So you had two choices of music. You had a bit of your uh, 80s and 90s, and then you had a bit of your underground house music and all that because we mm-hmm. wanted to attract a bit of that style of crowd and music. Uh, unfortunately, because because of the pandemic, we, we had to postpone and we just opened Rails. Mm. And we launched that in March. And when it finally got open, we went back into a heightened alert. 
right? There was mm-hmm. like heightened alert. And then when we finally opened to two packs, we went back to another heightened alert. Oh and, my gosh. Uh, what happened was we were struggling. Uh, I don't want to use the word struggling, but we were going through a situation where we had to survive, right? And mm. I didn't want to throw in the white towel. Uh, my team and I actually, were, we, they were really helpful. So we came up with this campaign and we said, what do we do? And, and, you know, and I kept on asking the question, what do you do to stay alive? Or, you know, me and my partners were thinking. And we were mm-hmm. like, hey, why not do a stay alive campaign? Because that's the truth. We wanted to be real. And uh, the truth is that we are really trying to stay alive as club owners and nightlife operators, mm-hmm. right? And we felt like, why not do this campaign? And let's, and let's do a, a, a campaign where we just don't only do cocktail and food, you know, because everybody else is doing it. And I have love and respect for everyone doing it. Mm. But we wanted to do more. So we reached out to people in the scene, the local community to do collaborations, you know, when we felt mm-hmm. like, you know, this is the way we bring our cocktails and we work out with other people also in the FMB scene or local collaborators and see how we can package it together in our campaign. So our campaign is one month long and we have activities and collaborations. So we have activities such as a trivia that's coming up about mm-hmm. So You Think You Know Singapore. And I hope you all can take part, try it out. <laughs> uh, then we have, a, we, have a, we have a DJ live stream with all our local DJs. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have our food collaboration where, where we have, we have uh, this group, uh, Zach, this guy who's doing What the Falafels. Uh, we just did one. This lady, this Eurasian lady that cooks it, uh, that cooks uh, uh, and used to do this home business where it was called Mama Pintos, which mm. was really good, authentic Eurasian food, uh, Peranakan Eurasian food. Uh, and that, we just did that collaboration yesterday that sold out with our cocktail pairing. So it's been quite good. And people have been uh, tuning in and following what events and activities we are coming up with offline. We also have a store that you can take part in a $5 lucky, uh, a staycation giveaway. Mm-hmm. A raffle draw. Uh, we also have stores that we do. We sell our old posters. We're, we're, we're doing our shirts because everybody who, got, who came in our place loves all our slogans. We have one slogan that says it's on like Donkey Kong. So we're <laughs> selling our, our shirts like that and stuff like that. So we just wanted to be different in this campaign just to stay alive and try to show everyone, look, we're trying to raise 50k. Mm. Um, I hope we do and if we don't, it's, it's not a failure for us but it's to show people that we're just trying to show what we can to keep alive. That's about it. Yeah. Mm. Hey, Joshua, I'm quoting you on the uh, campaign webpage. Sure. You say you're, you're doing your darndest to stay alive. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so this campaign or other you know, survival strategies that you have um, uh, used, have they, do you think, uh, have, you, have they reinstated hope for the survival of your businesses? Um, so... Are you asking whether the campaign is going to keep me alive, or are you asking me whether that the authorities are doing their part, or you want to want me? To come oh, the former, the former. Okay, but I, yeah, I'd love to hear the second part as well. Sure. Same. So, so, so sure. I think the survival of this campaign, I, I, I'm looking at it as a, a two prong attack. Meaning, mm. um, one is it keep gives us keeps our brand alive with our audience who have not been there physically, right? Uh, and we're hoping that, that that helps. Secondly, with whatever cash flow we can, we're trying our best to put everything in this cookie jar, right? Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully, ties it through. La. Now, to answer your question, will it help us? I'm positive. I do not know because we are hoping that based on what the government's restrictions have given us, it should be able to, I feel, but... Mm-hmm. This, this pandemic, if one thing that stopped me, it's a bit unpredictable. <laughs> so, fingers crossed that no more restrictions are put in place after, you know, we come out of it on August 15 or 16. Uh, and uh, if I do raise like 30 or 40k, I think I'll be able to go through it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll be able to figure it. And we're still also reaching out to the government authorities to help us in every way we can with increased GSS support or rental rebates or any grants that they can help us with, right? Mm. Uh, yeah, so we, we are hoping. Now, with regards to what's going to happen in nightlife, I think, honestly, I'm going to be optimistic here. Mm-hmm. And I hope people don't shoot me for being optimistic. But <laughs> in the upcoming months, I think there'll be some pilot programs. Hopefully, the government can see that nightlife is essential. Mm. My business, this is something I'll share with you and you all didn't know. 
the nightlife, the, the Singapore nightlife scene in the global map, the last prior to the COVID has been placed on a on a global nightlife map. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if you do not know, Zouk was placed as number two or number three in the world. You oh know? yeah. We had Selavi Singapore when I was there. Actually, we were placed number eighty in the world ranking in top hundred clubs. You know, mm, that's uh, crazy. If you didn't know, timeout timeout in New York uh, placed Tanjung Pagar neighborhood as one of the top fifty coolest neighborhoods in the world, and mm-hmm. they named nineteen eighty as a must place, a must be to check out in this uh, neighborhood, right? Uh, so my point to you is that that the nightlife itself has. We are like un- we are unsung heroes of the nation in a way, right? Mm. Uh, as I will put, I will put it, and 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 we have done our parts to we have done our part to keep Singapore in a, in in the global map. You know, when people land here, one of the few things they go apart from our Singapore Zoo <laughs> is, <laughs> is like and Marina Bay Sands is everybody's asking where's the nightlife, and they'll go to Clark Key, you know, they'll go to mm. Zook. Everybody like where's Zook, 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 and I hope people like nineteen eighty. Uh, in fact, other brands that I know keep alive so that they that we can play a very big part in tourism and putting us in a global nightlife map. So, with all this said, I hope the government hears us, which they do, and they would they would actually allow us to reboot our pilot and reopen our nightlife in the safe measures. So, to answer your question, I think we are we are hopeful that they will reopen the pilot program somewhere in. Late September mm. or October, when the vaccination vaccination rate has gone up, and hopefully that that comes back now. Because I think entertainment is very important for all of us, including yourself. You need to let out with your friends, and we still need that, you know. Yeah, yeah we for need sure. To shake off this whole COVID glue. You, you need, yeah, you mm. need it. <laughs> Jokes aside, right now, like the last thing all of us want to go is just go out, have some drinks with our friends, and just dance off at night, you know, or Absolutely. sing along or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just hope this whole Delta thing is like the worst of it, you know. Yeah, like we're, yeah. we're past it. Please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you guys have a lot of stuff going on. Just going to your website, like you said, there's like falafels. That there's Eurasian food. It's a lot. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, we got, we got somewhere we want to. We want. I hope that this campaign um, urges the other FNB operators as well to see how they that they also start to put out more stuff and give. Mm more varieties to the consumers. I really hope so, you know. And yeah, absolutely. We want to work with more collaborators. Like you guys, like even doing this podcast and sharing, these are little things that we can try to help. Yeah. For Thanks sure. for help, by the way. Thanks for Oh, the yeah. Opinion. We're happy to. We're happy Thank to help our here. local. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's um, podcasts like this that gives us a voice and, and it helps a lot. So, kudos to you guys here. Yeah. Oh, we're happy to help. And yeah, yeah it's nice learning uh, from you about all these businesses and stuff. Um, yeah. Another thing I wanted to ask was about the decision to be transparent about the funds needed and, you know, the life update as to how much you have raised. Could you tell us uh, maybe the thought process behind this? I I think there was two reasons. One was firstly, mm. I wanted to break away. Honestly, I wanted to take away the, that stigma that has been uh, following the nightlife operators recently, these KTV yep. operators and FMB pivot. I'm really, you know, we just... We were, we were asked to close suddenly like two weeks ago. I, I don't know whether you all know the story, but mm. we were asked to close and I received the messages from Singapore Food Agency to cease operations immediately on a Friday where we were having guests. And it was such a horrible feeling. And I remember telling one of the customers, I'm so sorry, can you finish your drink? You have to mm. leave. And, and the customer looked at me and went like, why? And I said, we are closed because we, we are in the pivot program and they have lumped us as KTV operators. And he looked at me and y'all are KTV operators. Y'all are, you know, he was so shocked by it. And I felt like we needed to do this transparency thing to be transparent to our audience that mm. we are nightlife operators and they're really good guys out there, you know. They genuinely want to bring passion and love and idea. When I came up with this, with this idea of 1980, money aside, we understand you need to run a business. But I just mm. wanted to change the clubbing landscape, right? And that's why... I brought back the 80s and I said, this is the way we should do it. And, you know, I wanted to really change it, you know. And I think that's why I wanted to be transparent because I felt transparency was the best way to show your honesty in a way to people. And, uh, you know, we wanted to show that our struggle is real, not fake or anybody. Now, 
with me bearing my bones and saying we are struggling, it's not only me. I know mm. that my awareness has have caused other people to look at other F&B operators and their struggles as well. And that was something that I felt was very important as well to show that a lot of my interviews, I always stress about the Staying Alive campaign, but we mm. stress as F&B operators how everyone is struggling, you know, and and sometimes I see people fail to see it and that's why I want to be transparent with how much we are doing, what is the money we are making in and all that, you know what I mean? Like really account for it, you know. At the end of the yeah. day, I'm not asking for handouts. No, I'm not. If, if you notice, we have not asked people to come and give us anything for free. Even if mm. there's a donation, we are doing a DJ stream where a DJ is coming, taking their time to play a one-hour set and we're asking for a donation during our DJ stream. So nothing mm. we are doing here has gone as to stick, stick our arms out and say, give me $100. Nothing of that sort. Yeah. Okay. I'm expanding on that. Yeah. Um, so we, are, we believe in really earning it as well, you see. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Just expanding on that, uh, what you're talking about the Singapore FNB scene, um, in your by in your observation, what types of business businesses are more resilient to, you know, pandemic driven change, and what types of business businesses are more susceptible to fail during this uh, whole pandemic? I think the, I get I get this question a lot, but mm. I'm going to speak in FNB and later I'll try to explain a bit more. But for FNB, I think everybody is is on a, uh, a tipping point. To answer your question, mm-hmm. uh, I really think that that no one is, everybody is on that verge of failing. I, I don't see anyone actually uh, can say they're successful. Now, the only one that are doing well right now that are really successful are McDonald's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Burger King, some fast food. you got mm. some uh, prominent established food chains, meaning your chicken rice store that are famous that you can order from that are still sustaining and doing well, right? Mm. Uh, but apart from that, those establishments, the new players and a few restaurant fine dining guys, they are the ones that are a bit in a danger zone, I feel. Because mm. they got high rental, right? Look, yeah. let me ask you all this question. Do you all order everyday fine dining food? Like everyday, are you all ordering from a restaurant? Just be oh, honest. no. Absolutely yeah. no, because not. They, by the time it gets here, it's just yucky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's such stuff. I mean, you know, you, you it's that aside, and that's exactly a point. You know, the food is, is you know, it's supposed to be eaten on the spot, and then you reach to you. Secondly, the price point is going to be a bit of a concern. You can't have a fifty dollar meal every day, you know, right? Mm. Uh, you know, you have to also support our local hawker heroes here. So this this situation here, you see, I, I really don't know how to put it to you, but this is what I would say. I would say that everybody now. Is trying to 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 run deliveries, cocktail, and they're trying everything and every mode of survival just to go through this August period, right? Mm. Once the hardest part to me, the question to me that I I look at is not this August issue; it's the recovery period that is going to be the biggest struggle for everybody. That is where I see the concern because now we got rebates and a rental rebate to help us. The cash flow I'm trying to sustain us or to make to get is to actually help us go through August and September actually, right? Mm-hmm. And that is very important. Recovery is the hardest, right? Because once it opens up, the question is, how many people are going to come to your joint? What are the restrictions? Is the government going to give us a two-packs restriction? Are they going to give us a five-packs? If it's two-packs, I tell you right now, a lot more people will die out of the brands, you know? It's, it's, mm. So it's, I think, I think it's a very hard question. I really don't know who will succeed or fail. I really hope those who are hustling hard, which I've seen, those who are continuously trying to reach out to different markets and database have been, have been, and the ones who are doing a lot of cross, cross collaborations and all, they're tapping onto each other's network. This is a time not to be competitive. This is a time of togetherness. And I hope, I hope brands will get together, go through it. Like, that's my take. Mm. Yeah, that's a wonderful sentiment. Yeah. Right yeah. Yeah. So. Mm, in- that's that's yeah that's my point yeah i see okay in that case could you tell the people how we can help or the different sure. ways we can help i think we got a staying alive sg.com website staying uh-huh. alive.sg.com uh, website and it's in this website we have a list of food events and activities and store that y'all can have a look of stuff that y'all can uh, do with us or buy from us for example 
you can buy uh, some cocktails, some food collaborations we are coming up with, with what the falafels and our cocktail pairing. You mm-hmm. can even support us by buying paid for vouchers that you can purchase, right? If you don't want to, if you want to take these vouchers and later come down the, when we reopen to use it, you can also do that. Uh, you can go on our store and buy some of old posters, uh, which, you know, um, which uh, showed some of our old DJ events and all that. They are quite well designed by our own guys. It will frame it up for you. Uh, mm. You can also, so there's a list of activities there that you can see. You can even take part in trivias, our upcoming trivia. There's a participation fee and we'll be conducting trivia. So yeah, there's a lot of ways you can take part. There are workshops. There is a, a workshop done. We wanted to be a bit taboo and we are doing a, um, a collaboration with Hedonist Store. Which is actually mm-hmm. a, a sex, uh, a sexual well-being for women, and nice. it's conducted by uh, these three ladies, which I've gone to learn to love and respect because they've been they've been pushing for sexual health for ladies, mm-hmm. and they talk about yeah being sexual and they actually sell sex toys in a very nice and arty way. So do check them out. They're doing a talk and they're doing an exercise with us. We're doing like this eighties workout kind of thing with them. So nice. yeah, do check that out. It's very interesting. Uh, so we, we want to do stuff like that. We want to push a bit of the boundaries and keep ourselves going at it uh, as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um. Absolutely. I definitely wanted to ask. You see, the thing that stood out to me, right, is falafel cocktail pairings. <laughs> I personally never heard of that. Could you tell us how on earth that works? <laughs> so I think the couple behind uh, what the falafel is, uh, Zigzag, he's from Blackout Agency and Jade. Uh, and basically what we want to do with this falafel pairing, because the falafel pairing comes with this Middle Eastern dip, mm. right? And we want to just try to expose a bit of Middle Eastern flavors. So with our menu and Rails from Rails, our cocktail bar, which if you can come down and check out Rails, please do come. It's a, mm-hmm. it's another homage to Tanjo Paga train station. We wanted to be a steampunk bar. So come and mm. check it out. It's really cool. You look... When you walk in, you feel like you're transported to another space or place. Yeah. So, from our real menu, we wanted to use Middle Eastern flavors. So, we, for example, one cocktail that we used was uh, Gilded Compass, where it's a bit of a hazelnut liquor, rose essence, which is very popular in mm. Middle Eastern flavors or Middle Eastern, and apple and lemon juice, simple stuff like that. We have uh, also Expedition Badula, which is a milky tea-based cocktail with Ceylon Arak. Right? And mm-hmm. it's spiced with cardamom bitters. Right? Cardamom is a spice that we use in a lot of our Middle Eastern cooking. So we're looking at this kind of pairing. Um, so that was how we came about it. We actually um, had fun putting this together because we had to play with Middle Eastern flavors. So this was quite interesting for us. So that's one example of it. Yesterday we did Mama Pinto, for example. And that mm-hmm. was Pranakan and Eurasian. And we had this clockwork sago. Uh, which was like a bobo cha-cha kind of cocktail, right? And we felt it went end in end together with with uh, the Eurasian food, you know? So that is how we put things together. We find to, we try to find a common denominator of flavors that both this this food has in common, the taste palettes, yeah. Nice. Sounds uh, I love, intriguing. Yup, yeah. I love that there's a variety. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to work with more collaborators, so there are more coming out. Um, we're hoping that the Staying Alive campaign can, even after we come out of this restriction, that restriction, we can actually keep going and, you know, keep keep on moving forward with local collaborators. Yeah. Mm. That's cool. Ask, ask you two to come and do a cocktail for us and also collaborate with you. So you all do oh, cocktails? that is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. if I can fly over there. We definitely talked to uh, this Michaela bar owner. So he also said that there were craft beer, local food pairings. Is that on the cards? Do you think a cocktail, maybe like local foods, like chicken rice pairing, do you think that's possible? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and uh, I saw his pairing. I-, I wanted to try out. I wanted to try it out. I didn't get a chance. But I think a mm. local food pairing is important. We we are looking into it. We really want to do it. But <gasps> see, here's a part of the local food pairing, which I want to be honest about. Uh, mm-hmm. It's always about cost. How much would you pay for a chicken rice with a cocktail? You know, true, right? So let's as as a non Singaporean, a lot. <laughs> okay, we don't yeah. get decent chicken, chicken rice. rice here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, but but 
I think local food is, is in. Yesterday we tried a bit of the local flavor. I mean, it was pranakan, but you know, we want. Mm. I would love to do more, more, more local pairings and all that. Um, and let's see how that goes. Yeah, but yeah, it's on the table. I, I really want to do that. I also want to also do local pairing, not only on food, but even can be simple snacks. You know. Mm. Yeah. So oh wow. We were in that. Yeah. So we we were seeing, and 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 I think that's the beauty of pairing and collaboration. Creativity is like just like a waterfall right there for us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there's so many interesting things going on. And Joshua, we wish you all the best with all of this. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for giving us a a chance to to, to speak about um, what's going on and all that. Yeah, thank you so much. We've learned so much, you know, from um, your perspective and learning how to manage like a whole bunch of businesses in a pandemic. It's always insightful. Thanks, so, thanks, yeah. thanks. Yeah, thanks. So and much it's absolutely you. great to hear that you, you still have this fiery passion in you to keep this alive. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. I th- thank you all. Thank you all so much. And I hope to see you when you come back from Jakarta and, uh, <laughs> for you to when, when you're 10 steps away to come by and uh, for a drink or two. And I'll be more than happy to show you the space. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, we'll I'll look be forward all to for that. that chicken rice. Chicken rice <laughs> yeah. yeah, you cool. better have thanks it by so the time much. I get there. Yes, we will. We will. <laughs> cool. All right, thanks so much, man, guys. Thanks, Joshua. Take Thank care. You, Joshua. All right, bye. Bye. But yeah, that was such a fun interview. Um, just from the way that Joshua speaks about, you know, his businesses, it's yeah, you can tell he's really passionate about these things. And yeah, it just seems like in a pandemic, we're just doing all we can. I hope everything is re- restored soon in Singapore and in yeah. Indonesia, where I am, um, where mm-hmm. everything is, you know, ostensibly shut down. But you know, there are ways around things, obviously. Um, <clears throat> But uh, yeah, just just out of curiosity, um, in Singapore, how long have has have um, has the government enforced like all these restrictions? Uh, I don't know. We have been having quite a fun time. Not really, because we have like three stages of reopening. There's phase one, phase two, and phase three. And then we went from phase two to phase three, which was like more restrictions. And then we went back to phase two. And then now what we're on is phase two heightened alert which is like phase two but not <laughs> and yeah this is our second time in phase two heightened alert so it's really we're just going back and forth on things and this because we recently had a sudden explosion of cases thanks to mm-hmm. you know um a whole bunch of people at these uh karaoke lounges so thanks for that y'all little shit but what is an ex- explosion for you um i don't know it was a few hundred but considering we yeah. were having you know uh, less maybe single digit cases in a day and then suddenly it's a hundred a day it's like ah oh, shit here we go again not to you know reference the meme but yeah here we are again yeah we're posting like 30k a day oh and lord and this is that is relatively good now that's how bad it is here oh my god mm, it's it's going down in jakarta at least hospitals are freeing up thank god that's nice finally yeah, yeah. It, it's weird to think about the scale and like how it differs from region to region oh god i hope you guys get better too but yeah but the suffering's the same like what joshua experienced mm. business owners here experience as well and you know it, it, you could learn a, a lot from you know joshua's initiatives uh you know with his partners how they this collective is uh daring to be different in the way that you know they want to survive yeah absolutely and there's like there's there's so many like cute initiatives as well i mean yes it was the first time i've heard of a falafel cocktail pairing and now i'm intrigued as hell Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know more power to the people thanks for listening and we'll see you next week bye see ya thanks for listening if you'd like to spot coconuts and our weird and wondrous stories you can become a Coco Plus member at coconuts.co slash membership, make a patron payment at coconuts.co slash patron, or buy a fresh merch at the Coconut Shop at shop.coconuts.co. Subscribe to the podcast and leave reviews. Tell us how you feel and what you like and don't like. We're excited to hear from you.
The Coconuts Podcast delivers impactful, weird, and wondrous reporting by a journalist on the ground in eight cities. Singapore, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Manila, Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, Yangon, and Bali. Listen to headline news and insightful interviews on matters large and small designed for people located in or curious about Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. The Coconuts Podcast is a Coconuts Media production. Our hosts are Summer Lee and Andre Nasri. Our executive producer is Byron Perry. Our production manager is Clarissa Cortez. And our editor is Rainer Nick.